will be taking communion at the end of the service. If you haven't take, gotten the elements on the way in, you might want to just slip up right now, uh, slip back right now and get one of those. And they look like this in case you're new today. We practice what we call open communion, and that means this. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate, but I would encourage you that you need to be a member of the body of Christ. Paul talks in Corinthians that if we're not part of his body and we partake, that it's actually a very bad thing. Now, there's a solution for you, though. Rather than say, well, I just won't participate, here's a better option. Repent of any sin that's in your heart right now and accept Christ and become part of the family. Then celebrate with us at the end of the service when we partake. There's something much better than refraining. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and there's this voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough, that's the devil. And here's how you need to respond. Praise God, you are right. But through Jesus Christ, I have been made righteous. It's not that within ourselves we earn or we're good enough to make it, but it's because of what Christ has done for us, his work, and that's what I'm talking about today. We're on the ninth sermon from Galatians. How many of you love Galatians already? It's a phenomenal book. We're up to chapter five. Uh, This is kind of a significant swing point. As I've told you before, Galatians is divided into three categories or three parts. The first part Chapter 1 and 2 give validation for the gospel, and it it defends the gospel and Paul as the messenger of the gospel. Chapter 1 and 2. You get to 3 and 4, and and it moves to giving an explanation of the gospel, or what we would call the doctrinal part. He begins to teach about the truth of the gospel. And he comes to chapter 5, and they're all all interwoven, but chapters 5 and 6 primarily speak about the application of, of the gospel. Here's the message of Galatians. Live in the power of the Spirit. How can we have success in life? Very simple. Live in the power of the Spirit. Next week we'll jump into that big time back part of chapter 5 and he compares or contrasts what it means to live in the flesh versus living in the Spirit. It's going to be an incredible day. We got missionaries with us from Equatorial Guinea and from Nicaragua, and we're just going to, we may just explode next week. It's going to be so phenomenal. Paul speaks here in the, in the first part of chapter 5, and he speaks to the heart of the matter, and he explains the result of legalism. And here's what it is in a simple phrase. It's loss of freedom. And he's going to say some things in a minute that, that I want you to listen to carefully in the second part of the, the message today in point number two. But let's start with verse one. This is the key verse of Galatians. It is both a summary and transition. He is summarizing in the first part what he's already said. Then he transitions to a second part and um, you got to remember this. You all know this. But when Galatians was written, Paul didn't say, I think I'll write another chapter today. And he penned chapter 4. And then a week or two later, I think it's time for another chapter that will have 27 verses. And, you know, he didn't do that. He wrote it as one letter. So maybe you're thinking, well, why do we have chapters and verses? We're getting to the point with technology where it's not as necessary probably as it was years ago. But imagine, how many of you, this would be really fun to see. 
How many of you hold it up super, super high? If you've got a leather or whatever copy your, your cover is, paper and ink Bible with you this morning, raise it up as high as you can so I can see it. Everybody over 50 is raising their Bible right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How many of you have your Bible on some kind of electronic device, a phone or a tablet? Raise that up so I can see it. Turn the light on and flat. No, I'm just kidding. So with technology, you probably don't need as much. But imagine if you just had a book like this, and I said, I'm reading from Galatians Try to find the spot where it says this, and you're having to read through the whole book. Oh, it's, it's toward the back. It would take us like 10 minutes to read a verse, and then I would never have another verse of Scripture in my notes or in my text because you could never find it. So years ago, people with great wisdom said we need to divide these things into chapters and verses so that when I say turn to Galatians 5.1, and if you're a newbie to the church and newbie to the Bible, you go, what does all that mean? But if you're a regular, you go, ha, I know 5-1. I can find that. I can count and I can find Galatians. I will get there. But when Paul wrote it, it all flowed together from start to finish. So it all connects. And in this verse, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Freedom is a major theme of the New Testament. Unfortunately, it's one of those words that sounds really great, but we don't often know what it means. Freedom, yeah. Freedom from what? What does that mean, freedom? Well, we're going to look at it here. Let me tell you, first of all, that about 50 times in the New Testament, you'll find the word free or freedom, You'll probably find more verses than that that reference freedom or being free. Um, Romans chapter 8 has free or freedom in there a bunch of times. But when it says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, what Paul is saying right there is there is spiritual freedom, no condemnation, spiritual freedom for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul wrote that, he did not probably, for most manuscripts, include the second part that's in your King James Version. It's a good word. It's in other places of Scripture, but it's not there. He simply said there's no freedom to, or there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say in the King James, some other versions, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He says that later in the chapter, actually, so it's not really a bad reference, but it probably wasn't in the original manuscript. There's freedom for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans has 11 verses that mention that. Galatians have nine, 30 more times throughout the New Testament. And I want to go real quick. I don't have time. I don't want to preach this, but I want to give you this because it's so important to illustrate what I was saying about freedom. We, we yell for it, but we really don't think of what it is sometimes. John chapter 8, verse 30. It's in your notes if you got them there. Or you can look online at our app and look up sermon notes and follow along on your phone or your tablet. Um, if you got the piece of paper, you can follow there. As he was saying these things, and go back and read the whole John 8 later on. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Okay, starting point. He's talking about people who indicated faith in Christ. He's not talking about people who are evil and whatever, although you'll find out the fact that they believed in him didn't mean that they obeyed or followed him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you abide in me 
you are truly my disciples. Here it is, verse 32. Get ready to shout. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We get all juiced up over that. We don't even know what it means. Because here's what it says about them. They answered, after he said that, they didn't say amen. They didn't say hallelujah. They didn't whoop and holler. They answered him, what do you mean? We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone, which is kind of funny because they were slaves most of their life. How is it that you say you will become free? How many of you know when people are, are talking to you and they go, well, you say blah, 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 blah. It's not normally a good conversation. So Jesus is telling them, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they go, well, who do you think you are? What do you mean we'll be free? Are you kidding? We're free. We're children of Abraham. We are the freest of the free. They don't even know what free means. So Jesus goes on and says to them, truly, truly I say to you, let me back up. There we go. Verse 34. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. He's given great biblical truth, but it's going right over their head. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. There's another, woo, hallelujah. Son set me free. I'm free indeed. Well, what are you free from? He goes on to say, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet, how many of you know that word can throw a whole kink in your plans? Yet, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Now, now, back up. Who are these people? Those who believed in him. And now he's saying, well, you kind of believe in me, but you're not willing to be transformed. You want to add in, but you don't want to change. You know, we, we all say we like change, and we only like change as long as it's good for me. I like change like more money, bigger house, nicer cars. Yeah, that's good change. But change often means that we have to give some things up so that we can receive something better. Yet too often our human nature enslaves us to hold on to that thing that really is dragging us down. This ties in really good to the sermon day. It's why I wanted to go here because... The problem in Galatia are the Judaizers who are holding on to Jewish faith and teaching to such a level that they make Christ an add-on to the gospel. Christ is not an add-on to our spiritual experience. He is the all-in-all. He is the center point of everything. He's not, well, try to do your best and grab Jesus too. The phrase that we're using for this series says that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me just go and throw it out there for you right now. Jesus plus something else equals nothing. When you try to add to him, you negate who he is. Let me go on. Jesus saying to them, you you try to kill me and blah, blah, blah. And they answered him and said, Abraham is our father. Have you ever noticed that that when, when we... When we think we're already free without Christ, we get very arrogant. We get rebellious. We push back. You know, I think one of the greatest traits that any of us can can have, and we should all be working to develop, is learning to be teachable 
Now here, and we all, hey, man, it's like freedom. Yeah, we're free. Yeah, we're teachable. Okay, here's what teachable means. You have to admit, first of all, that there's a good chance you could be wrong. Really hard to do. I, I say around the office every once in a while, I have been wrong before, but it's been pretty rare. We have to admit that there's something bigger, better, stronger than who we are and what we know. We have to embrace the possibility, if we want to get better, that we may not already be there. That's some good preaching right there. That'll help you. He's, Jesus said, they said, well, Abraham is our father. And he said, if you're Abraham's children, you'll be doing the works of Abraham but now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing, your works, you're doing the works of your father did. They said to him, we were not born out of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Isn't it amazing how religious people can sure love to quote religious statements and sayings? Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Remember how this whole passage started out? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And now it winds up saying you are of your father, the devil. Just because you know a few good phrases and know when to say amen and to raise your hand and shout doesn't mean you have it all together. I, I like something a lot of people have said. I remember my dad said on many occasions, he said, it's not how high you jump when you shout, it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Now, I, hey, I'm all for response. I'm all for emotion. I'm all for amening. But it's easy to come to church and amen all the things that we like. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Woo, Amen. But are you walking in freedom? Or are you following after rituals that leave us empty? Let me go on. He, he tells us here that the key is that we follow. Completely. So Jesus gives us freedom from sin. Three ways that happens. Immediately from the penalty of sin. When you become a child of God, hell is taken out of the picture of your future. Now you can shout. Gone. When you become a child of God, immediately the penalty of sin is removed from you. Your future is secure in God. Secondly, not only does he give us immediate freedom from the penalty of sin, but he gives us continual freedom from the power of sin. There's a lot of Christians that they're really, they don't get this, and they live in frustration, they live in failure, because they keep yielding to the flesh instead of receiving the power of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says in Romans 6, 14. Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, let me tell you what's required to make that a reality. That requires continual dependence on God. It means that you continually resist the temptation to stand in your own strength. Can I get a witness? And you continually 
lean into the work of Christ and that you frequently pray, Lord, deliver me from evil. Lord, keep me on the right path. And when you do make a mistake, that you let your conscience be so easily affected by the Holy Spirit that you repent immediately. It's a whole other sermon. I won't go too deep into it. The problem is most of us, when we sin, we do anything but repent. We try either to cover it up and hope nobody saw it. Or we try to compare it to somebody else and go, well, it's not that bad. Look at that guy over there. We try to somehow justify it. But there's only one biblical thing to do when you make a mistake, when you sin. It is to immediately confess and repent. You know what that does when we do that? It puts us in a place where we're growing in our faith. When we cover up sin, you know what it does? And I'm not talking about covering up like from everybody. We, we cover it from everybody, maybe sometimes even ourselves because we try to justify it. You know what it does? It kills the growth of holiness in our life. We become more righteous, more holy in the, in the way we live as we depend on Christ. We are that way because the penalty of sin is gone, but the power of sin should have no dominion over us either because we are not under law but under grace. And eventually, Jesus gives us freedom from the presence of sin. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we get to heaven and there is no sin in the camp? You don't have to worry about anybody stealing what you have. No locks required. You don't have to worry about who's going to try to take credit. Who's going to manipulate. No sin. Because there's no sin, there's no sickness, no disease, no death. What a day that will be when we are free from the presence of sin. It is in the future of every child of God. And Paul commands them at this point to have a firm resolve, an obstinate perseverance to stay free from anything that would enslave them. Let me go on to the second point, and I'm going to go through this kind of quick because we've already talked about it in other parts of the message or or the, the series. The second thing is this, don't put your hope in legalism to justify you. If you want to know why you get into heaven, it's not because how much money you gave last year to the church. It's not because you witnessed to someone every day for the last four years. It's not because you have a perfect attendance in Sunday school. It's not because you're on the worship team. It's not because you're the pastor of the church. Our best efforts are like filthy rags. The only thing that we can can plead as a reason why we get into heaven is because we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. Don't let legalism become your justification. The foundation of how God deals with us is grace through faith, not legalism. I'm not going to read all the text there. I may refer back to certain parts of it, but you can see it. Look, Look, though, with me right there at the beginning of, of verse 2, and it says that if we accept circumcision as being a requirement for being right with God, 
Christ will be of no advantage to you. We eliminate <coughs> the value that Christ brings to us. How much value does Christ add to your life? <laughs> Everything. It's all of it. You have no value without him. But if you try to add in what you think needs to be added in, you make him of no advantage, of no value. You eliminate him from the equation. Legalism, a second thought about it, the passage here, requires total perfection. Grace through the cross underscores our complete dependence on God and obliterates pride. Look at the verse uh, number four. You are severed from Christ. Isn't that a powerful word? Severed. What do you think of when you think of the word to be severed? I, here's what I think of. I think of a man who has this huge giant sword. And there's something that needs to be disconnected. And he wields that sword around. And with all of his strength comes across it and just chops it off. Broken completely. I don't think about somebody sawing on it. I think of one quick blow that breaks it completely. When you put your faith in your works, legalism severs you from Christ. Is that powerful? I never want to be in that spot. And I love what it says in the next verse there, in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I love how Paul takes two opposite kind of words and puts them together. We eagerly, what does eager mean? It means to be watching right away on the edge, can't wait, but we eagerly wait. What does wait mean? It means we got to hang on for a while. But the whole time we're waiting, we're watching. We're believing in the full redemption that will come with the return of Jesus Christ. Those who place their hope in Christ eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, if you look at the next verse, it tells us that Paul is not condemning circumcision. He's simply exposing its inability to make you right with God. His argument here is not ceremonially, it's theologically. We're going to do communion in just a moment. It's interesting to me that some people get very adamant about the way they perceive communion and how it's supposed to be handled. And they're talking about the logistical parts or the things that you use. And they don't realize that these things are merely symbols that speak of the substance, which is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. I don't want to offend anybody right now, but if you're offended by it, I probably need to expose it. It really doesn't matter if we use purple grape juice or white grape juice. I really personally don't think Jesus would be even upset if we used apple juice. The grape's not what, that's not what's special. It's what it represents. Oh, some of you right now, you legalists right now, you're just frothing inside. It doesn't matter if the bread was a cracker or the round piece of styrofoam. You've all had it. 
doesn't matter. The stuff tastes awful. Suck it up. It's not about how good the juice tastes. It's about remembering the sacrifice of Christ. You know what? In some ways, it'd be better if it tasted bad. Now see if you want to take it. People get, you know, there's a quote off some TV show. It's probably a bad show. I don't even know where it came from, but I heard the quote. The guy says, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little bit stitious. <laughs> not like a lot, just a little. No, no, I'm, 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 not, I'm not superstitious about stuff like this. But we get that way. We think that we have to do this or that or whatever. Look, you can take communion every day if you want to, and that's great. But if you think communion is the thing that saves you, you're missing the point. We did it once a month around here, but God delivers from legalism. The things that we ever miss is, oh, what's going to happen? We didn't have communion in May. Well, June's going to roll around, and you'll be all right. It's not about the legalism. Now, the Bible tells us to do this frequently, not because of the legalistic side of it, but because our memory needs to be jarred to remember what Christ did for us. But it's not founded in the symbols. It's in the substance. There's something much more important than juice and bread. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we make it about the symbols, we miss the point. Oh, I'm going to get prayed for, but i got to have them anointed with oil, because that's if I don't do the oil, it may not happen. Are you kidding me? We anoint with oil because it's a biblical principle. But understand, oil represents the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not about you get healed if you use oil, and you lose it if you don't. It's not about symbols. It's about substance. It's not about legalism. It's about freedom. We have freedom in Christ. Now, now I'm, I'm going to say something in a minute. You're, they'll make this real clear for you. It's not about whether we do or we don't. That's not even the issue. The issue is that we don't do it for the wrong reasons. We don't do it to secure our salvation. Paul says here, the thing that's most important is that faith is working through love. Matter of fact, he says it's the only thing that counts. All the stuff you do in your life to be a follower of Christ, this is Paul's words, not mine. He said the only thing that really matters is faith working through love. We have a mandate from Scripture to let our faith in God Produce our love for one another. He goes on to talk about the doctrine here of, of this legalism, and he says, Here's what happens with legalism. First of all, it comes from man, not God. Secondly, it has widespread impact. Any bakers in the room, he uses a great little illustration here about what leaven does. To the whole lump. You don't need a whole lot of leaven to impact the entire loaf. Can I get a witness from a baker? A little bit of leaven will affect everything. Well, it's just a little bit of legalism. 
I'm not superstitious, just a little bit stitious. Just a little bit. You can't have any of that. You can't be thinking that somehow you're earning your salvation. It's so hard that when we say this kind of stuff at a funeral, people like drop their mouth open and look at us like we're crazy when I say, this person's not in heaven because of the great life that they lived. What? Are you kidding me? They were a great person. Well, they're a great person, but being a great person doesn't get you into heaven. The only thing that gets you into heaven is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, no, no. I can't help but get ahead of myself a little bit here. I'll get there more in a minute, but i got to throw it out here right now because some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? You have lost your senses. So here's what it is. It's not that we do works to get saved, but because we are saved, we do good works. Paul's not talking about eliminating the way that you live. As a matter of fact, these, next, these two chapters are all about application. And, and next week, when I jump into flesh versus spirit, it's going to be really awesome as you see what he's talking about here. But he's saying right here that, that when we base our salvation on how much good we've done, it creates all kind of problems. And here's what I know about that leaven. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Here's what I know about that. Evil spreads quick. It doesn't take long. And when we have this doctrine, it hinders the truth. It creates trouble, and it causes people to stumble. Let me go to a little bit of application here for you as we kind of wrap up the, second, the first part of chapter 5 here, verses 13 through 15. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not. Everybody say do not. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. What's the word? Love. The whole law is fulfilled in love. The whole law is fulfilled because the grace of God gives us a spirit of love in responding to each other. And it's the kind of love that Paul talks about in Romans, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I had it in my text here and I'm trying to find it. Where did I put it? Here we go. 1 Corinthians 13 This is what true love is all about. Love is patient, kind, not jealous, not braggadocious, not arrogant, does not act rudely. You letting these sink in? Does not demand its own way, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's the word law, love. That's the key to the whole thing. Love your neighbors yourself. In that, the whole law is fulfilled. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So here's... Here's a few things to kind of wrap up. Four things that freedom does. Spiritual freedom chooses relationship over ritual. Some people hate the word religion. I, I get that. But, but religion really does have to do with our relationship with God and other people. And I, I would rather say it this way. The religion that I do have, because James says religion can be pure. A pure religion is one that puts our faith in Jesus Christ, and it's based on relationship, not ritual. How many times did you go to church last year? Now, now listen, I think you ought to come to church every time we have a service. 
You ought to join online and watch with us. I think it's important. The Bible says, do not forsake assembling together. Even more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. How many of you know his approaching is closer today than it was when that was written? Pretty obvious one right there. Come together. There's value in connection. But that's not what earns your salvation. It's about relationship, not ritual. Secondly, spiritual freedom chooses service over selfishness. Look at what it says. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to indulge yourself, but rather serve one another. You know, here's the deal about that. I'll, I'll often say this to people when they're about to get married in the premarital counseling session. I, I tell them there's three things. I'm not going to do one today. But tell them there's three things that they'll do that will help them to have a good marriage. One of them is this. Try to make each other happy instead of making yourself happy. Because if you're trying to make each other happy, what happens in the process? You're both happy. But if I'm seeking my own happiness, it can create a lot of problems. If my happiness has to do with the kind of car that I want to drive, and I, and I don't really care about my wife and what she has available to her, and I'm thinking about self, selfish indulgence, and I buy, my, buy myself the brand new nicest thing I can get, but I got her driving an 18-year-old car that the air condition doesn't work on. How many of you know we're going to have a problem? If you don't get that, you're not ready for marriage, by the way. But if I'm trying to take care of her, and she's trying to take care of me, we both can succeed in that category. Serve one another. Third thing, spiritual freedom chooses an internal law over an external law. When your heart gets right, it's not hard to do the right thing. But when I'm trying to follow an external law that somebody's pressing in on me and says, this is how you're supposed to behave, this is how you're supposed to do, you know what I do the first time I get that recording of what their laws are? I'm looking for loopholes. Is there any way I can twist this? Any way I can make this fit for me and what I want? But when the law is inside of me, love produces the right result. The last one, spiritual freedom chooses building up over tearing down. Behavior that devours, listen to me, behavior that devours is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit that leads to kindness, gentleness, and goodness. I'm basically quoting right now back from 1 Corinthians 13, the first part. A little bit of a paraphrase, but pretty close. I don't care how many times you speak in tongues a week. I don't care how much money you put in the missions offering. If you don't have love, you're a big fat zero. Say, Pastor, you shouldn't say that. People may not give. Well, if they're only giving because they're externally motivated, keep it. Keep it. You know why we give? Not because somebody is putting us under pressure or compulsion. We give because we've received. And there's this internal part of me that says, when God has done so much for me, it's only right that I should do something for somebody else. I found myself a couple of weeks, a week ago at 
day of hope. I had my golf cart up here. I was driving around in my golf cart. I was having fun. And I'd drive by a car that had their window down. I'd stop and talk to them. And from, without even thinking about it, the words that came out of my mouth, without me even thinking about it was, thank you for coming out today. I got to thinking about that later. That's kind of a weird thing to say. You know, it, it, from a, a human perspective, it'd probably be more right for me to say, I hope you enjoy what we're doing for you today. Maybe trying to fish for a compliment. You know, I'm glad we could do this for you. But instead, I found myself saying, thanks for coming. You give us the opportunity to, to, to share what God's given to us. This is an awesome day. This is a great thing because it's internal, not external. Ephesians 4.29 from Good News Translation. Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words. Now, understand, helpful may be corrective sometimes, but it has to do with the motivation behind it. It doesn't mean you only do Pollyanna, cherry words. But whatever words you speak, let them bring good things, not bad things. The kind that builds up and provides what is needed. So that when you, what you say will do good to those who hear you. Stories told of a church that was without a pastor. And there were two guys that were both interested in being the pastor. Probably not the best decision. But they opted to kind of let them both do whatever they do and see what they thought. And one guy got up and he preached on hell. And man, he was ripping it good. I mean, he was letting them have it about hell's hot. And most of you are probably going there. And you better try your best to get out of it, but there's not much hope. And I mean, he was sweating and shouting and yelling. Another guy got up a couple weeks later to preach, and he preached about hell. And when they got through, they voted the second guy in to be their pastor. And somebody asked one of their friends, says, why do you think we voted the second guy and not the first guy? said, because, well, when the first guy preached, he sounded like he wanted us all to go there. The second guy sounded like he was trying to keep us from going there. They're both talking about the same thing. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. But the motivation behind it is absolutely critical. Some of you are going back to school this week. What a great opportunity. Whether you be student or administrator or teacher, for you to let the love of Christ shine through you. You don't have to get up on a table in the cafeteria with your family Bible, yelling at the top of your lungs, but you just need to help the person who drops their books. The kid that's having a tough time getting their locker open, maybe try to help them if you can. Saying encouraging words and praying every day for God to give you the right word to say at the right time because the right time in due season is beautiful. And may your life and may your words and may the entirety of who you are be used by God to influence someone with the gospel. Whether you're a student or whether you're an employee or an employer or just a neighbor. May God anoint each one of us to walk in the Spirit so that through our life, people are drawn to Christ. And may He give us the right word at the right time 
And may we proclaim the faithfulness of our God. Amen? Would you bow your heads all across the room? Every week I want to give anybody the chance to accept Christ that's here today. Before you leave, we've got things out in the foyer that you can stop by and get some help. Say, hey, I want to grow in God. And they'll give you some books and things out there, some Bibles, some helps to, to, to grow in the Christian faith. But if you're here today and you want to accept Jesus Christ in your life, I want to pray for you. And right now is the time of decision, of dedication to say, I put my faith in him and his work. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now across the room? I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you or single you out, but I want to give you the chance to respond and say to God, that's what I want today. Across the room looking up, thank you. Anybody else? Looking from left to right. Anybody, anywhere? I want to go to a second question. How many of you will join me right now? And I pray the Holy Spirit will, will speak to your heart and cause you to do more than lift a hand right now, but cause you also to, to live it out this week. How many of you will join me and say, I want to be that positive influence in my world, at my place of work, in my neighborhood, with my family, with my friends. I want God's grace to flow through me and impact others. Would you lift your hand all across the room? I want that to happen in my life. God, use me. Father, I thank you today that you are at work. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to receive your grace and to base our faith in your goodness, not in our efforts. Thank you, Lord, that legalism has been stripped away from our hearts. And the religion that we possess is not one of rituals, but it's one of relationship. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace. Now may we serve one another in love because you have blessed us with freedom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'll take the elements of communion, if you want, you can go ahead and pull the bottom one off and the bread will come out. You can just hold that for a second. If you'll pull the top one off, the juice will be available. It's an incredible passage to read. The Gospels declare it. Paul speaks of it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and they all give the same summation on the night when he was betrayed the night of disappointment not the night of celebration from the natural the night of hardship the night of difficulty the night when he would pray in the garden let this cup pass from me that night he took the bread and he said, this bread represents my body. It's the symbol of something much greater. And my body will be broken for you, that through my brokenness, you may be made whole. Would you partake of the bread across the room, thanking Jesus for his sacrifice and for the wholeness he gives us? then took the cup and said this cup is my blood which is shed for you and because of his shed blood our sins can be forgiven we 
would you partake of the cup, thanking him for his shed blood. I'd like everyone to stand again with me. I'd like the prayer team to come to the front. Today's sermon was all about freedom. Maybe you need that freedom in your life today. Maybe it's freedom from fear, anxiety, guilt, depression. Maybe it's a substance issue that you need freedom from. If you need freedom in your life today, you want someone to pray with you. Whatever your need is, nobody's going to judge you. We're not going to try to figure out what, why you're up here. Here's what we know. We respond because the Holy Spirit draws us. So whoever comes to the front today, we're going to rejoice. Amen, church? We're going to rejoice. And if you feel the Spirit drawing you, I encourage you, don't hesitate, but come quickly. Even if you come up and say, I don't really know why I'm here. I just want more of God. That's awesome. Whatever it is you feel the Holy Spirit doing and drawing you, would you come now if you desire prayer today and there will be someone here to join faith with you and believe for God to meet your need and his freedom to be poured out in your life.